0: You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. Good morning. Uh, It is is a joy to be with you. I've known about you for uh, quite some time. My family uh, my family actually has visited you on vacation when we've gotten a week off in, but staying in Orange County. Uh, you've been the place that we have visited. Your pastor, Dylan, uh, he's a dear friend whom I respect. Uh, now I'm getting to know Hans and Alec or Al, I guess I'm picking up more. I uh, uh, call Al. And, and listen, I, I just want you to hear, I, I love what you stand for. Uh, it's, what a delight it is to be in this room with you. Uh, so, Greetings from Salmon Grace Church in Old Town Orange. Uh, Salmon Grace, Grace Church, well, actually, they changed their name to Cross of Grace Church in Downtown Santa Ana, a sister church. There's a group in Anaheim Colony, if you know that area, in Old Town Anaheim, that is establishing themselves as uh, another sister church. And then there's a sister church in, if you can believe it, all the way up in Pasadena. Who knows about you? And and uh, uh, so so receive our affection and our gratefulness for you that we are co-laborers in the gospel in California. What an honor it is to be with you. But can I add on top of that, if I could just real briefly add, can I say uh, thank you, well done for stewarding your uh, pastor, the gift of a pastor in Dylan and his family Listen, pastors, you know this. Pastors are men who give themselves to the church, and it's not natural to give yourself to other people for their good, but rather to live for yourself. And so, as a church, and you're doing this, you're stewarding him as a gift from God to you. So, uh, well done. I I hope he returns to you refreshed. I hope he returns to you refreshed. Okay. And if I could say one more thing, I love what you're preaching through. The Supremacy of Christ. Uh, uh, listen, I was looking down the list, and I was thinking to myself, everybody in Orange County should be listening to this. Maybe not my sermon, but the rest of the sermons. Everybody in Orange County, every church in Orange County should be, should be preaching a series like this. It just thrilled me when I first it hit my inbox, and I just thought, this, this is good. Uh, this is really good. So I want to serve you well, and, and thank you for my assignment the supremacy of Christ in the local church. So would you stand with me as I read Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version letter to Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 15. Translator heading reads, Thanksgiving and prayer. Verse 15, follow along. The Apostle Paul writes, For this reason, because I have Heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? the fullness of him who fills all in all. These are the very words of God. You may be seated. Well, th- this prayer is a prayer for you. It's a, pr- it's a prayer for me. It's a prayer. prayer for us. The apostle Paul originally wrote it to some of the very first Christians. He opened his letter. If you're unfamiliar with the Ephesians, just as a reminder, with with. Uh, What precedes this prayer, verses 3 through 14, with what is really just one long sentence. Some 200 words or so, no periods in the original language. It reads like an outburst, like an outburst of praise right at the beginning of the letter. Phrase upon phrase, tumbling over one another, breaking every grammar rule in the book so unruly that one biblical scholar famously called it a monstrosity of a sentence. A monstrosity," he said. "The most monstrous sentence, conglomeration," he wrote, "that I have ever found in the Greek language." And yet, as you know, is often the case with monsters, it's a beautiful monster. <laughs> just just this week, a man named Mark. I was. It was actually it was just Friday night, who who I'd seen around my neighborhood for. Uh, Nearly a decade, he cornered me on my way home. I was heading to my car. I was supposed to pick up pizza and come and and bring it home for dinner. Everybody's waiting. All those kids, the 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 hordes were waiting for the pizza. And he cornered me in the parking lot. He's a big guy. He's an electrician. And and for the first time ever, talking to me without my prompting, he began to share how he had lost his entire family over the last few years. His mom, mother had passed from natural causes, but his father and his two brothers had all committed suicide. COVID had nearly entirely wiped out his business and he knew I was a Christian and he understandably had questions, I had questions. And in due time, as we talked and he shared his story, I turned to this monstros monstrosity of a sentence the sentence that precedes our text our prayer and explain to him what god the father son and holy spirit have been doing since the beginning of time <laughs> and how he too could experience what you and i are experiencing those those of us who have believed and been sealed with the promised spirit Experiencing forgiveness for our sin and redemption and un, an, an unfathomably bright future. Not on account of anything Mark had done or I had done. But well, because of Jesus. And, and actually, I, I, why, why would I not read this sentence to you? If, you? if you just look up in your Bible, verse 3, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Let me just read it to you so you can enjoy it. This is, this is where this prayer comes from. The Apostle Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And you could, if you could just imagine with me, it's, it's Friday night, in tears, Mark listening. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons of through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. Mark, all this is happening for you. To the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. That was what's being offered. Verse 8, which He lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will. And for Mark and I that evening... is mysterious. The mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and things on earth. And then Paul continues one big sentence in him. We have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that We who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And this was my hope for Mark. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Now I've learned over the years I got to tell you the rest of the story and not just leave you hanging there. Uh, the the conversation continues with Mark because the pizza was getting cold. <laughs> uh, I waited I waited a long time, but we got to a spot where we'd pick up when I returned from the trip. But that's why our text exists. That's why this prayer exists. Verse fifteen. That that's why it says for this reason. What reason? For this reason? Because of that monstrosity of a sentence, Paul says. I have, on account of what I just said, I have not stopped praying for you. Why? Verse 16. Look with me. Verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks to you, thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit. Here's the prayer now. May give you the spirit of wisdom of revelation and the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, here's his request, that you may know. That you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. That would be his first request. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? There's the second request. And then verse 19, the focus of our attention this morning regarding the supremacy of Christ in the local church in our lives together corporately and personally. Verse 19, and what is the Immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? That's what we're after this morning. That's what we're after this morning. God's power. What is it? What does it mean? What difference does it make? Does any of it have limitations or conditions or contingencies? The Apostle Paul is saying, he's writing, he's praying, and we're in view here. Since I have first heard of your faith, our faith, speaking to us, in Jesus Christ, I have not stopped thanking God for you and grateful for you and asking God to enlighten us as to the quality, the quality you might say, the the utter extravagance, the immeasurable greatness. As one author put it, his endless energy and boundless strength now focused and located and centered upon his church, us. That's the first time actually Paul uses the word church in Ephesians. It's here in his prayer, the church. Now, he says, and for all eternity, Paul is praying, listen, listen, may the eyes of your hearts see the supremacy of Christ at work in us you now I want to show you this right, to show you follow Paul's logic uh, first of three points okay ready number one may we see the supremacy of Christ in all of creation if you look at verse 19 with me again see the supremacy of Christ in in all of creation, not just the church, all of creation. Verse 19 says, What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might, or in other words, in comparison, comparable to, right? Verse 20, That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of hand in the heavenly places. So if you stop right there, so what is the power of God at work like Although it's immeasurable, (laughs) Paul offers a measuring unit, a a unit of measure, the resurrection. The resurrection, that's what it's like. The one thing, Paul brings up, Paul brings uh, into the conversation, the one moment in history when the very thing that seemed to be the only thing fixed and sure in this world was undone. Death, defeated, defeated. Right, A man who died and came back to life. That's the Christian testimony and witness. The very laws and principles of the order of the universe. Suspended and upended, violated, defeated, broken, dismantled. Who is this man? Surely he must be the one and only true and true God. For he died. He's the one man who died and now lives an indestructible life. The power of God, the Father, demonstrated, this is our confession, demonstrated in the tearing of his son out of the tomb and seating him beside himself at the right hand, the place of honor and power aside the throne. Paul says, that's the kind of power at work in us, the church, and in fact all of creation. Not even death could defeat Jesus. He has no rival. He has no equal. And to say it in another way, the Father has appointed him to an office that reports to no one. Verse 21. He is now, verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age in the one to come, he's the head of the universe. He's the head of the universe, the, the supremacy of Christ in creation. He is supreme. Over every creature, every power, every force, every natural process. The trees grow grow leaves and then drop the leaves and the new leaves grow and we look and we say oh I see how that works nature but every moment every molecule every cell in those leaves in the process directed by God the governor of California Jesus does not report to him viruses viruses no, no rogue viruses. Don't know where it came from yet. Everybody's got their guess. But we do know that Jesus was exercising the same kind of power that the Father exercised in raising him from the grave as the virus spread around the world. Your neighbors, the laws of physics, Heidelberg Catechism, if you're not familiar, question 27, a question and answer thing to, to train us to understand how... Uh, theological concepts work question 27 is what do you understand by the providence of God and here's the answer Heidelberg Catechism the almighty everywhere present power of God whereby as it were by his hand he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures and so governs them that herbs and grass rain and drought Fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Indeed, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Listen, so much, so much of the Christian life is, is really defined by our endless reflection and searching and desire for illumination and celebration of the fundamental truth that everything, everything hangs on Jesus. And so Paul prays, may God help you to see and believe and savor and trust and enjoy the supremacy of Christ in all of creation. But second point, second point, see the supremacy of Christ in the church. Look again, verse 22. See the supremacy of Christ in in the church. Verse 22. And he, the father put all things under his feet. If you stop right there, he, the father put all things as in everything, right? He put everything under his, the son's feet, Jesus's feet. This is a clear allusion to Psalm eight. You don't have to turn there, but this is what David writes. Listen, you're going to hear the same thing. Oh Lord, our Lord, You know this psalm. How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants. You have established strength because of your foes. To still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens. David writes. The work of your fingers. The moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him. The son of man that you care for him. Yet. You have made him a little lower than heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. And that was all things includes the church. Here's where we're not really that special, you might say. All things includes the church. And under his feet is more than just power and position but authority. He's taking it one step further as an expression of the exertion of God's power. Everything, everything serves as his footstool. Puts his feet up. Jesus is king. He's the cosmic Christ. And if you read further, verse 22 again, and he put all things under his feet. The Father put all things under Jesus' feet, the Son's feet, and gave the Son as head over all things. Stop right there. He's now head over all things, as in everything that finds its sense and being. This term head, everything that finds its sense and being and meaning through him. It's not just that he has created all things and been set above all things, but actually all things find their meaning and source and life and purpose in him. He's not a hands-off kind of guy. He's the compass with which we explore creation. He's the north star that, that helps us to keep heading in the right direction. He's the purpose Listen, I, you might ask this question. I always say, I tell people, it drives me nuts when people ask, I don't know, what, what's the purpose of life? I'm like, that's the one thing I'm trying to explain to you. What's <laughs> well, it's complicated. But he is supreme. Savor this, enjoy this. Especially in relationship to us, the church. He wants to, Paul's praying, Paul's praying, I'm praying, that we realize the greatness of that power, the power that is in work in us, and to know exactly how it works, this isn't about Christ. Listen, this isn't about Christ as head of the church, as in he is king of the church. here in the, He is king, but here in particular, when he uses the term head, he is emphasizing Christ as the head of the church. The source and center in life of the life of the church. The church finds its meaning in him. He doesn't find his meaning in us. The church finds its existence in him. He doesn't need us to know the purpose of his life. The church doesn't belong to us. The church doesn't belong to your pastors. The church doesn't belong to any of us. It belongs to him, which then beckons to mind all kinds of passages about the reality, the promise that he will build his church. It's his church. The church exists for him. It's it's on account of him. We wouldn't exist without him. It exists. Church exists to talk about him, to declare him and his glory and his excellency, to demonstrate him and his character and his good news, his gospel, what he has done. Not what you have done, not what we have done, but what he has done. And to declare and to proclaim that you can be reconciled to him. church but if I could just take it one step further this is where I miss it oftentimes this is this is both breathtaking and out of my depth point number three see the supremacy of Christ in creation see the supremacy of Christ in the church but see the supremacy of Christ For the church. For the church. Look again, verse 22. Read it carefully. And he, the father, put all things under his, the son's feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Listen, connect the dots. Connect the dots. He's the head of all things. He's the head of the universe. Creation. He's the head of, we fall under that, the church. And functions in a distinct way with us that he doesn't function with others. The universe and the church have the same head. Right? that's what's saying there. But Paul twists it just a little and draws our attention to the fact that his supremacy over all of creation and over all of us must be seen must be seen for the benefit of his people. That's not stated about the cosmos, about the universe, about creation. For even though he rules all things, right? And he is head over all things as the Lord. It is only the church that has a particular relationship with him in that metaphor of the body. The father, father pulling him out of the grave, seating him on high. Positioning him as supreme over all of creation. Giving him to us as our head. But giving him to us as well for our good. The supreme one isn't just that guy in the office on the next floor above you. No, he's with us. He belongs to us. The father gave his son, who is over all creation, head of all creation, head of the church. He gave gave them to us. Listen, we must emphasize, as a scholar writes, we must emphasize that God has given all his power and honor and dignity to him for the church. This is why the Father has done what he's done to Jesus. Must emphasize. We must dwell upon. We must comprehend. We must understand. Have this knowledge that God has given all this power and honor honor and dignity to Jesus. One step further. For us. God's raised him from the dead. Set him set him at his own right hand and put all things under his feet and has made him to be head over all things for the church. It means for the sake of the church. For the sake of the church that, that he, Jesus, might exercise his authority and power in the interests of the church. In order that he might finally redeem his people and present them to who? The Father. Again, not not only that, that he might exercise a great power over all of creation and enjoy that, but for our sake in particular. What does this mean? Listen, what does this mean? Enjoy this. Whatever is true of him is true of us. Now think of all the passages that one day we will reign with him. Strange passages about judging angels. The idea that he has shared his inheritance with us. We will reign with him. He has given Jesus these things, this position, this power that what is true of him would be true of us and true of all of us who are Christians God has given it all to him for the sake of the church which is his body the fullness that fills all in all, the universe and the church have the same head, he's the head of the universe but I belong to him I'm his body Listen, God, God placed God placed all things under His feet. That's a, maybe good news. Depends on our relationship to this one who rules over all things. But God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church. That's what we're reading here. This is nothing less than Romans eight, right? Romans eight, we, that great promise: all things work together. For the good of them who love God. To them who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. This, this is saying if you belong to him. Everything that happens out there is happening for you. Everything that happens out there is happening for you. Now, this gets out of my depth, like I said, and I got a five-year-old, as was Hans mentioned. Uh, so, I read a lot of children's Bibles at this point. <laughs> uh, I'm still reading them. And here's what one children's Bible says about this very, listen to, listen to this. I'm trying to explain this to my daughter, Willow, right? Starting in verse 20, just listen. He said, all the energy issues from Christ. There you go. That's maybe more clear best clearest thing I've said today. All this energy issues from Christ, God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven, in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt from his rule, and not just for the time being, but forever. He's in charge of it all and has the final word on everything. At the center of this, Christ rules the church. This is what he writes. And it just gets me every time. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. God is... The son is exercising authority over everything. But it begins with us. And all that's happening out there is happening out there for us. For our good, Romans 8. Why? Because as he is our head and his expression of his power, the kingdom of God growing, the fullness filling all in all. We become, we become a living demonstration of, a boots on the ground expression of God's power, the supremacy of Christ being proclaimed through your lives, our lives as redeemed people, why that's why I'm sure you've heard this before let me add to it the old abraham kuyper saying there's not a square inch right not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which christ who is sovereign all, over all does not cry mine you know that there's not a square inch in the whole domain of hum, our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. But Ephesians 1 teaches us that our response is, yes and amen. <laughs> and as I heard one person teaching children about this quote, mine too. Mine too not not for my glory, not for for my name's sake, but there's not a square inch in the whole domain over our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all he's all over all, does not cry mine, and we say yes and amen, and by grace of God, united to him. Enjoying his resurrection power in our lives today, in this moment, experiencing it more and more as we are transformed, even those little recesses of your heart where you don't say, huh? Let's say my head sovereign over all, given to me to work all these things out for my good. I don't say, yes and amen. And mine too, forevermore. So what do you do with that? Well, when you're struggling, internally, you're wondering, you feel broken, you feel weak, you're wrestling with questions, you're doubting your faith, you're giving up hope. All these things that we wrestle with. When you're struggling with your besetting sin, And the impulses in you that are not not glorifying to the Lord. And if only he knew what I was thinking he does. And all that's going inside. You can can turn to this text and this prayer. And ask the Lord the same thing that Paul prays for us. Open up the eyes of my heart that I might see Jesus. For not only who he is. but what he is doing and his relationship to me. You don't know the Lord. This is the escape out. This is, this is the good news. Sin, sin in all its effects in you inter, internally. Like a like a, a vice just gripping in on your life. It's not only an offer for forgiveness for every sin and reconciliation with God. But it's a sure hope for a very bright future where you can relate to this one. But it also is a place to look outside. And if the church has ever been, we'll say, thinking about what goes on in the world, it might be right now, this last year or so, and eagerly hoping for a better year this year. And you're concerned. I was just talking to a good brother last night, just struggling with California. You know, I had no idea he was talking about it. I love California now. <laughs> but actually, he was saying the same things I was saying back in 1996 when my wife and I were crying on our porch in at the time Baltimore, Maryland, saying we don't want to go to California. Not, not a knock on you guys at all, but <laughs> we, we liked our home didn't want to be here because we were concerned we had heard things about you. (laughs) But we can go to this same text and pray the same prayer that we might realize not only is he in control of all things but he's in control of all things for our good. The supremacy of Christ In the life of a local church, coming to him time after time, asking him, pleading with him, not to be in control, but that we might know him and see him.